today on episode 28 of Raising Financial Freedom, I have two good guests for you today, A.D. Williams and Kendall Fordham. Now, these two young people are co-creators of the book Mansa's Little Reminders. Now, this book introduces the beginning concept of money to kids and helps introduce other concepts of financial literacy to young adults. For me, when I read the book, it had a lot of realistic financial situations that you see every day that kids may or may not understand. So today we're going to learn how to teach your kids about money through the book Mansa's Little Reminders. So let's get this started in... Come on, Dad, stop playing around and play the music. Sheesh, tough crowd. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to have it all financially? Do well-off parents simply hand their children money? Or is there more to this wealth thing? Welcome to Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. We are here to talk about everything you never knew to teach your children when it comes to starting their financial future. The principles behind wealth and methods that are out there to teach your child about personal financial freedom. There is no real trick to earning other than learning. We are here to discuss, teach, and grow with you. Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast, with your host and concerned parent, Eric Yard. Let us get right into today's show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Raising Financial Freedom. Today, I would like to welcome A.D. Williams and Kendall Fordham. A.D., Kendall, how are you doing today? Sensational. Yeah, good. All right, all right, all right. We're here to talk about Mansa's Little Reminders. I read this book, and to tell you the truth, I like the points that the book covered when it comes to financial literacy. It covered some major crucial points, and we're going to definitely get into that. But for what I want to know for right now is, when you guys were growing up, what kind of lessons did you receive about money and financial literacy? Yeah, I'll jump into it. Not much. I remember, of course, school and and basics of math. But in regards to financial literacy, I've heard the term bonds. You know, your granddad got you some bonds that never materialized. And of course, saw my mother paying bills and saw her going to and from work. But in regards to actual financial literacy education, formal or informal, I can't tell you that I got any. So that's part of the reason for the book. Kendall? So I uh, was raised in a very financially literate household. It didn't start that way. So my dad began in the finance industry when I was first born, right after I was born. And uh, this is in, in the early 90s when the industry was booming and on its way to an even more massive boom as it approached the tech bubble. And he wasn't around a lot as he began his career. And my mom gave him an ultimatum. If you need to be more present or we are out. And that was when my journey started. So he would bring me to the office and the periodicals and educational articles he had to read, like Bloomberg and Barron's and market updates, he would read with me. So that's how I learned how to read. It's by the age of 10, 11, 12, I knew how to I knew the basic personal finance concepts. I knew the importance of saving, what inflation was, and I was knew how to evaluate companies and how to invest in stocks and what bonds and real estate were. So I, 
it started wow. very young. That's for me. good. That's very good to know about stocks at a young age. Is that's a hell of a, a head start that you can get. So tell me this, guys. What really bothers you when you see the state of financial literacy today? I think that financial literacy is the foundation of a much larger issue. It needs to be in schools. And I think everyone agrees with that, but it's the starting point of where people disagree. Usually it's middle school, high school. It it needs to start in elementary. We need to be teaching about money in kindergarten. At the same rate or starting point at which you learn to read, you need to learn the value of money and saving and, and what that looks like. Yeah, and I would add up to that point, just overall how under undervalued it is to Kendall's point in the classrooms, but also in households across the country, specifically folks that look like me, black and brown individuals. I think there's twofold opportunity, one from the schools and then two, just to have these kind of conversations earlier on in in households, you know, even at a foundational level. So for us, we certainly saw a huge opportunity to spark these conversations in, in education early. AD, what amazes you about what you know about money and financial literacy now compared to what you did not know when you were little? Yeah, not to not to downplay the complexity in it because I'm it's certain you can go to the depths of this and become an expert like Kendall is. But for me, it's just how simple it is once you grasp on to just the idea of investing. I think we all, for most of us, had a piggy bank and we understand the concept of saving. But on the grand scheme of things, I think investing could be just as just as uh, simple. So for me, it's like, dang, like, you know, I could have been doing this when I got my first job at 16 at Kmart, which is something that I did, putting money into the savings account and putting it into a brokerage account. So for me, it was like, wow, like, this isn't rocket science. And just like Kendall, we could have 20, 30, 40 thousands of her that get this kind of education earlier on, similar to how she did. What kind of change did you want to see to happen to community after putting your book out there? Oh, I think the first step is the conversations and the education. I think I want folks to be excited about this and it just become part of everyday conversations. Of course, we'll we'll have curriculum and we'll have some formal things. But what I've learned is that the folks that we, um, you know, I hope to have this emulate. This is just regular conversation. It's just something you do. You save, you invest, you buy real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, short term, it's starting the conversations, seeking the education and just being excited and interested about it. And then long term, we start to see that wealth equity gap close and get smaller and smaller because right now it's wide and and it's a tremendous uphill battle. I would add to that and say I I would want to see more career education. I would want everyone wants to grow up and be an athlete or a performer or entertainer. What about business owner or a franchise owner or an author or a manager? I want more education and conversations around success and what that looks like for other careers that aren't in the spotlight. I think that there's or now I hear like my youngest brother, there's a huge interest in his generation to be influencers. But I think of how saturated that market is. I want more education on different career options at a younger age so kids can aspire to be more and understand that it is okay to own three Taco Bells. Like that that would be an awesome career and a very successful I'm glad one. you went into that. How do you feel about the school system trying to implement a more of an entrepreneurial mind or lessons, you would say, to the children in school, right? I don't think it's there. I think that 
kids now are getting a lot of inspiration from social media. And I think social media inspires and motivates people to be entrepreneurs, which is, I'm an entrepreneur. It's an incredibly rewarding career choice, but I think it glamorizes it. It is hard work. I don't work a a 40 hour job. I don't get holidays, paid sick leave. I'm working 60, sometimes 80 hours. I'm working on the weekends. And I think that there's, If there's better education on the options, maybe there'd be less people trying to be YouTubers or influencers and more people trying to learn how to start a profitable business or learning about how to climb the corporate ladder or about 401ks and other things like that. Because there's no shame in that. And you can be very successful. Yeah, I believe so too. So let's talk about Mansa's Little Reminders. Tell me what was your input onto this project and what was the main point of this book? Yeah, so I'll kick it off. The main point of the book was to instill confidence, inspiration, and of course, financial literacy in this whole plight of wealth equity through these characters. These characters go through things that children go through every day, whether it be having a disagreement with their mom or going to the corner store with their friends and and cousins or being excited about pizza night to to seeing a squirrel or, you know, kids across the the world see squirrels every day. Now the squirrels may not be (laughs) talking to you, but I think that adds the dynamic. So it just try to normalize everyday activities, but instill and infuse these, you know, key things, believing in yourself and being okay with being a little bit different and being a good student and daydreaming about your future, writing those things on paper, and most importantly, starting something for yourself and learning about all things that come with financial literacy. So we wanted to be fun, but also hit on those points. Yeah, I would say the sole purpose, in my opinion, would be to get this book in the hands of the children that are products of the underserved communities that need to read it. I think we published it recently and a lot of the feedback has been from our friends and family, which aren't necessarily the people I want to have the book. And I want it in the schools in fourth grade, maybe third grade. And I want there to be a curriculum and I want kids learning it. What I liked about the book is that it definitely rooted you in what is going on today. Mark has got his little Black Panther t-shirt. He's trying to he's trying to comprehend the cost of bacon and sausage and seeing why he cannot have both. How important was that to imp- to implement that into the book? It was critical. I think it summarizes me coming up and conversations I've had with my parents and just not really understanding the why. I mentioned earlier that I saw my mom going to work and working two jobs. I saw her paying bills, but never really had a chance to sit down and talk to her and have her educate me on the why. So I, I got to see that as a child and as a as an older brother. And I'll kick it off to Kendall, who's a mom now and, and may have some other con- context. <laughs> Yeah. So that was more interesting for me. So when the book got to me, it already had this like skeleton, this kind of plot. AD had ideas that he wanted conveyed in the book. And that was one of them that was already there when I got it. And I remember reading it and trying to decide how to expand on it and thinking about my own privilege and that I never had a conversation like that. Even when I, in my eyes, we didn't have a lot of money. I never was told I never had to to make a decision like that. So it was very interesting to look back at my own experience and compare it to what 
I mean, this might, and AD, you can correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but this is not, you know, a biography of AD's childhood, but he did take a lot of his experiences and put them into this book in which I expanded on. And it, it was just very interesting to look back and be like, wow, I'm never had to think like this. And now I'm writing a book on it. So for me, that That's was interesting. That's real interesting, Kendall. You, you said you have kids. Exactly what are you passing on to your kids? Interesting you asked that because I was just talking to my husband about this. How do we teach our children about one, how blessed they are, and two, but two, how to appreciate and value money when they are never going to have to struggle? So I am constantly in this writing this book ha- helped me stress the importance of that. How d- our kids are very young for context. I have a two year old and a five month old. So they're not really that's I would consider that a little too early to introduce bacon <laughs> and sausage and why we can't have both. But that that's a great I haven't figured it out yet. I, that's something that I need to do as a parent, how to introduce these concepts in an extremely privileged environment that our children are growing up in with housekeepers and cooks how do we make them appreciate money so that they don't take it for AD, granted? I know you're not a parent, but you haven't any, any clues to how you implement this? Your time comes or if your time do come? <laughs> to be determined. You know, I think, I think the beautiful part about this whole process is that we're learning. I think Kendall's mentioned this in the past. Each time we reread the book or get started on future series, like we're learning every day. And I think this, this book and this series will stand the test of time for that exact reason that no one person has it all figured out. And it really does take the community and us having these conversations within our households and with the neighbors and across our community. So I think that's the exciting piece. So in short, no, but we get there together. Yes, I do. I have a little nine-year-old. Oh, that's the perfect age. You're you're telling me. (laughs) How are you implementing? So this is what I do with my little nine-year-old. So I try to change the way she thinks. We play games. We play a lot of money games. But one game I do play with her, which she does not like, but I want her to see how the lessons within the game could be applied outside into life, which is chess. So we play chess and we have financial literacy books that we sit down and we talk about every week or every other week because she does dance and then there's school and she has a pretty full schedule. So I just try to fight for the little time that I can get from her. But yeah, I have financial literacy books that I hear from this show that I pick up on Amazon that I like. And we sit down and we, we read it together. She tells me what she thinks about it. And I tell her what I think about it and what's going on in real life. But yeah, he's teaching us. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to do this. If you don't do it, one thing I do believe in is that your child is the first teacher that they see every day and the last teacher that they see every day. So who best to teach them but you? Amen. So getting back to Mance's little reminders, what age is this book targeting? Because there's some math in there. And I'm like, oh, they even have math problems in here. Oh, when she reads this book, she's going to be like, oh, you're trying to slip math into me now. <laughs> so what what age group are you trying to target here? And, and Oh, so we, and, a, uh, ahead. we did um, a lot of groundwork on the front end. And really the range has been for six and older who've had friends in the education field run the you know, Lexile studies and see and it really falls within that, that six and older time frame. But course, they're brilliant rock star students and children across the world that may pick it up a little bit early. But from what we found, that six six and older is kind of range. Okay. 
Okay, so she won't have no problems with that when I tell her that. <laughs> One thing I liked about the book is that it pushes the child to get a taste of the entrepreneur person they can be. How important was that to put it in the book? Because you could have stayed away from it. You could have just been. It could have been a book about saving and budgeting. But you, you do it in. You guys do it in the book, and you implemented it very good. So I think that was so important because of failure. Failure is such a massive. It's a massive part of life in general. But being an entrepreneur, it is the foundation of. And it is what makes you a good entrepreneur is how you handle failure. And I think that was the portion of the book that I spent the most time trying to, in a relatable way, articulate how to persevere through failure to where it wasn't scary. It was digestible, but it was it was present. So to me, that was the most important part of the book. What challenges did you guys face creating this book? I think for us, it was confident in the story, confident in the goal, but just thinking through the best way to to deploy it. We have shared goals of wanting this in schools and also classrooms and families across the world. So we just had to not overthink it and put it out to Kendall's point. I think that fear of failure never leaves. You just have to continue to psych yourself out. So for us, it's we've been writing it for writing process was a while, you know, just because we have life going on and we fast forward and it's two and a half years. So for us it's saying, hey, let's let's just put it out thus far has been the best one of the best decisions that we could have made just on how it's been received and the impact that it's had in a short period of time. Yeah, I would say building a reliable and trustworthy like camp that it's in our corner so because we've never done something like this before. Neither of us have in our respective careers. So it was trying to constantly make the next best decision when you don't really know the outcome or we're not really modeling the behavior of anyone we know closely that's done it before. Let's see, What is the one resource that you guys use when it comes to financial literacy? I read a lot. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've been I've been really heavy on the YouTube and the audio features. There's been a number of candles active on social media and just a number of folks that I've stumbled on, non-traditional folks that that look and sound and have similar interests to me that have taken over the, the airwaves either via podcasts and YouTube. So I've been trying to make sure to stay up on that on a weekly basis in addition to reading as well. Okay. Yeah, I would say that reading. So a, a lot of scholarly articles that come out, a lot of Federal Reserve data, small business data, but then also people. So I have the blessing of owning a practice where there's constantly different people, different backgrounds, different ages coming in and I talk to them. And I ask them about these subjects, especially when it comes to the minority wealth gap in America. And we have very sometimes high level and sometimes we get really in depth depending on who I'm talking to. And that information played a really big role in, in creating the content for the book I as see. well. So the book covers two, three major points in financial literacy, which is saving, budgeting, and then investing. If you had to pick one, what would you shout out to the world? I would, <laughs> I would say start easy, start simple to not scare people. And that would, and that's always begin with saving, but then you have to be tricky with that, Eric, because you can save too much. So it's a delicate balance, but always start with saving. The average American family does not have enough to cover three months of bills if they were to lose their job. And so I think 
saving at its core is the most important. AD. Yeah, I'm not going to go against the expert. I love the idea of starting small, but I'm going to go against the grain. I would say investing. When I talk to you know my my siblings, my family, folks that I grew up with, etc., it's like this the concept of saving, whether we're extremely good at it or not, is is known. Bank of America, the top bank companies, you know how to save. But the investing, I think, is starting to become more normalized, but not nearly as much as we think it is. Although social media can be lost, so investing, I think, is such a new concept that. I would love that to be one that we grab onto and learn more about earlier on. So that would definitely be I, for me, uh, my personal favorite is investing. But to tell you the truth, if I had to pick one, it'd be budgeting because budgeting savings could fall under that. Investing could fall under that. If you budget correctly, you have money for savings. You have money for investing. You have money for spending. So for me, it would be budgeting, but I do love investing. You can't, <laughs> that's something that's the fun part of, of financial literacy to me. Still to this day, money is still a taboo thing with parents and their children. How does the parent overcome that fear of talking about money with their child, in your opinion? So in my practice, I encourage, and I, I want to say that I don't have all the answers, but in my practice, if it's somebody has if we reinforce it, but I love the idea of bringing you know your child to to practice. I'm glad Kendall mentioned that because I think for me it's just the transparency. It doesn't have to start with the conversation around analyzing stock charts. It is, hey, you know what? Every month I get my paycheck, and every month I pay a bill. You know, or every month I, I sit down and I figure out what money's going to go where. So that transparency, I think, is important. And, it, and that is a, you know, rocket science. You're going to do that regardless. So to Kendall's point, just bring your children in, let them see. I think that transparency is huge. All right. What is the best piece of advice you can give to a parent who's just trying to start off in financial literacy with their child since your book definitely grazes the beginning of financial literacy. Yeah, I think first grabbing the book and on the website, www.mansislittlereminders.com, we have some additional resources that will at least get the ball rolling. So I think taking advantage of the resources, this first book scratches the surface. When you have a question from the book or from Mark or Mance or Mom, characters from the book mention something, just Google it. So I think the book scratches the surface don't be scared to Google anything that you have questions about. And then transparency, just start to bring your children and your family along with you on the journey. That can start by saying, hey, I just downloaded a brokerage account or, hey, I was $17 short for the water bill. And I think that transparency is education in itself. Yeah, I think so, too. Getting the other family members involved. And that's what the book does. The book shows other family members are influential into a child's financial literacy knowledge. What would you say if you had to do it all over again? What would you like to to do from the beginning to now? Hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I would ask more questions. Like I vividly remember being a eight or nine year old and my grandma watching me and my mom leaving off to go to work and coming down, sitting at the table with, you know, everything was paper at that point. So putting all the bills out on the paper and talking through them and my granddad doing the same. And I just remember just passively. Now that I look back, I was curious, but I didn't ask any questions. So as a child, I would ask more questions. And the thing I'd tell my mom and grandparents now is dang you should have you know, should have sat me down and just to be around and educated me and not be fearful that we i wouldn't understand because those things uh, stick with you and i think kendall is a, a living example of how 
smart how much sponges that children are. Yeah, I think I think I would have appreciated it more. I remember being just angry at my dad because I wouldn't be able to go outside and play until I could talk about what Johnson and Johnson's earnings were that day. So I think then I didn't appreciate it. Now I do. And I'm constantly trying to think of how do I implement that to my children? I also would have talked to my friends about it more, spread that that knowledge, which I was embarrassed of it then. I was felt like a nerd because nobody else was doing that at 12 and 13, but they should have yeah. been. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I guess you would have been the oddball in the circle if you were talking about that. Parents yeah. like me. But that's what we need. That's what we need. We need circles like that in order to, to get some movement within financial literacy and not make it such a taboo topic to talk about. Okay, guys, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You've shared so much with us. Tell us how we could get in touch with you. What you have coming up in the future and any other projects that you may have going on right now. So the website, of course, www.mansonslittlereminders.com, as well as the email, hello at mansonslittlereminders.com, social media, all things Manson's Little Reminders. And I think for us, we're committed. We have some more books coming out, some workbooks, and hopefully coming to a, a school near you. So we'd love to, love to hear if you have ideas or have some influence at, at your school. I think we'll be down to collaborate. Just super excited uh, for everyone that got the book or will get the book after hearing this. I second that. All right. Once again, guys, thank you for coming out to the show. Thank oh, you no. for having us, Eric. Yeah, thanks. No Keep us posted. One more time, I just want to thank AD and Kendall for coming on the show and showing that it's going to take more than one person, more than two people as a family, I might say, and even more say a community to help teach these children financial literacy and everything about money here in the present and in the near future. Once again, please follow and subscribe where you can and let other parents know. Until next episode, stay safe. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. Stay connected with us directly through RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. You can also join the discussion on social media, which you can also find links on our website. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through info at RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other. 